see? <laughs> the autumn wind is a pirate. There we go. Bustling in from sea with a rollicking song he tramples along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather beaten. He wears a crooked sash with a silver cap upon his head and a blistering black moustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold, and the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you around and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Rest in peace, Todd. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I am Dave. I am in my house at the dining room table, flying uh, alone tonight. Um, loved having Linda on last episode. It seemed like she really made an impact on you guys because that is a true story of our family and what happened and how drugs like demolished it and how recovery uh, saved it. Which is a great story, you know. Drugs do demolish lives, and recovery does save them. And I am a, a living example of that. And uh, the point of Dopey was to show that life in recovery could be fun. And I honestly believe that um, it was even fun for Chris. He just fucking got caught up. Like I see it as this science fiction story, where um, there's some terrible monster. That uh, here, imagine imagine it's some '80s movie kind of scenario where some terrible monster shows up in the town and enslaves the town, and a few kids, few people wind up uh, escaping the monster's power, and they see everybody else in the town under the monster's power, and um, and they want to free other people. And uh, I was under the monster's power, and Chris was under the monster's power, and uh, we had broken free. And Chris kind of helped me break free from the monster's power, and we were free agents. And Dopey was like the underground radio, you know, sending freedom waves to, to the afflicted people under the monster's power. And then somehow the monster uh, surreptitiously got to Chris, and, uh, and we didn't know it. And we didn't see it, and uh, and Chris was uh, repossessed by the monster, and um, and it killed him, and um, it makes me incredibly sad, and it makes me angry. Uh, I'm angry at Chris. I don't get angry at addiction because I think that's stupid. It's like fucking addiction is just addiction, you know. I'm not angry at drug manufacturers for whatever reason. I'm not angry at politicians. I'm not angry at drug dealers. I'm angry that Chris, you know, couldn't tell me that it happened, you know. Um, But that might not be fair either. I mean, he was carrying a heavy burden. I'm angry that the show isn't me and Chris anymore, you know. I'm angry that uh, when I go to record Dopey, I look into the bag of gear and I have this twinge of pain that... um, that Chris doesn't get to do the show with me. And then when I go and I listen to the old shows 
and it was so funny and so easy, it's very uh, painful as well. But uh, I am, you know, happy, joyous, and free for the most part. I do uh, love my life. I do still love to make dopey, and I love to hear from you guys. And uh, I just figured uh, it's been a little bit since Chris died. It's been, uh, I guess, three months, you know, about eight, nine, ten weeks or something. I'm not good at keeping track of these things. Um, But there was a bunch of uh, voicemails that came in that I didn't play when he died. So I want to play a couple of them. And here is one. Hey, what's up? Dave, Eric here up in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut, man. It's been a long time since I sent you a voice memo, but... It's early morning here, Monday morning, July 30th. Uh, it's like 5.30 in the morning. As usual, when I'm driving down into my work area here, uh, <clears throat> I, I check you guys out on Dopey, and I'm uh, a complete, complete shock, but also like not in shock because I've had this happen so much within the past uh, two or three years. Um, hearing of you know people checking out, man, uh, passing away here due to... Uh, Addiction, and it seems like a lot of people that you know use dope, man, and uh, get caught with this fentanyl and check out, man. And uh, I was I was shocked, like I said, but not really totally astounded at what happened with Chris. I'm sort of like kind of desensitized here uh, with the with the thing here, but it's like it's first time for me. I mean, I think we're the same age, man. I'm, I'm I just celebrated my birthday yesterday, man. I'm, I'm 44. You know, I got a seven year old son. A two-year-old daughter, a beautiful wife, home, just like yourself. Oh, I can really identify actually more with yourself, Dave, than uh, uh, with Chris through the past years. Listen, you guys, I mean, I've been listening to you guys for over the three years that Chris was doing the show. I mean, it was since you guys started, man. Uh, anyhow, man, I, I wanted first thing when I heard the news and I heard you doing the podcast by yourself here, uh, I haven't even finished listening to it, but I had to offer my condolences man and and i'm sorry and i know you must be going through a lot of pain man like you said when you opened up the the, this episode uh in anger as well again again man you know i i actually feel i don't even know him person like you do but i feel the sadness as well man it's it's another 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 reminder man that this fucking shit could fucking get us man you know um I don't want to use either, but it actually scares me a lot when I hear these stories, too, because I couldn't imagine living day to day without seeing my kids, my wife, and all the stuff that we get to do every day with all of our luxury problems, you know? I don't want to keep this forever, man, but I just just wanted to, uh, again, reach out, get get you this ASAP and say, look, man, my sincere condolences, man, and uh, hope you stay strong and... uh, Please, man, reach out to me if you ever need to. You know, I'm up here in Bridgeport, Connecticut, man. Still holding it strong with the recovery up my way. Um, I'll hopefully be celebrating eight years clean next month, August uh, 22nd, man. So I hope everything stays on the up for you, man, no matter what, you stay clean, man. Uh, I love you, brother, as another recovering addict, man, and uh, take care. And I'm going to be praying for Chris's spirit now, man. Take care, man. Bye. All right, that was obviously Eric from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and thank you, Eric, for the uh, the voicemail. And it just makes me realize, uh, you know, how great the Dopey Nation people are, and how great uh, our fans are, and how like the Dopey Nation people like look out for each other, and they look out for me, and they look out for the show. And um, 
we all want what's best for each other. And uh, you guys are an amazing bunch of people. And I'm just uh, very grateful you guys are, you know, fucking letting the freak flag fly and celebrating uh, Dopey. It's fucking cool. We never, Chris and I never would have predicted that it happened like that. But for the true, true, true fans, I need to give you uh, the dopey news. Uh, We have a long interview coming up with this dude, Jake Fogelnest, who um, kind of haunted me like uh, my entire professional life and a lot of my using life. But we'll get to that in a bit. I just want to give you the dopey uh, news. First thing is that there's this thing coming up in North Carolina on October 26th. It's called the Mindful Recovery and Wellness Symposium. And uh, I don't know much about it. I know that they want to give me an award. They want to give me an award, and they want to give Chris a posthumous award. And they say that uh, you guys nominated us to get this award, and I'm a sucker for an award. They don't want to fly me down, so I don't think I'm going to go, but you guys should go. If you're in North Carolina, you should go check it out. There's some sort of code. If you mention Dopey, you get some kind of... uh, some sort of discount, but I don't see where the thing is. But I'll find out. As we get closer, you direct message me, and I'll find out how dopey people can get discounts. Amy Dresner will be there, and Amy Dresner, I think, is going to come on Dopey again next week. She's blowing up. She has her book, My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean, which has been optioned for a television series. Then uh, a bunch of people are going to be there. So you guys should check it out. I don't know if you know Jane Zars. She wrote Sober and Pissed Off or Sean Paul Mahoney. I don't know. There's a bunch of, you know, North Carolina Harm Reduction Coalition. It's a ton of stuff. A ton of people are going to be there. You should check it out if you're in North Carolina or you want to go to some uh, mindful recovery and wellness symposium. It should be good. Erin is the person who's uh, reached out to me and she seems very cool and she wants to, like, participate in making Dopey bigger. So I'm trying to spread... uh, you know, awareness of her thing to you guys. Now, more dopey news. I don't know if it's a really weird story. Like, I'm sure, you know, most of you guys know that in the beginning of the episode, that was Artie uh, at the end of the Artie Lang episode. And, um, you know, I put that on there. I I was going home, you know, I, I try to put these episodes together when I don't have somebody with me. And I was going home uh, on the train, and um, I was trying to figure out what kind of little thing I could lay in the front because I like laying a little thing in the front, like we did last time with my old drug dealer. This time, um, I was like, I thought about that Artie Lang thing, you know, at the end of the episode, and I was like, oh yeah, that was so cool. We should lay it in, or I should lay it in. So uh, I lifted it out of the Artie Lang episode, and I listened to it, and I put it in the front of the episode, and it totally gave me chills. And I didn't think anything of it except that it was going to be cool on the episode, and you guys will let me know if you think it's cool on the episode. But then I go to bed. I went to bed at like 8.30 last night, and I woke up at like 5 in the morning today, and the first thing I see on my phone is that Artie fucking tweeted that he's going to come back on Dopey. Or he tweeted, uh, give me a second. Uh, I don't remember what he said. Something like, I'm coming, give me a second. And I wonder if if me putting that arty poem at the beginning of this episode somehow like got to him. Or was it like 
Scott Countryman texted at, tweeted at him yesterday, and a bunch of dopey people tweeted at him. So keep tweeting at Artie. He's not responding to my texts anymore, but he did respond on Twitter. So, you know, Alana, hot girl fucked by life, Dirksen made the, do- uh, the Artie dopey sticker, and I'm going to print those up. But uh, it looks like Artie can be back on dopey, which I would love. Um, there was something else, some more dopey news. Oh, yes. Um... That shit with my old drug dealer at the front of um, the last episode. The dude's name was uh, Indio. He called himself Puma. Me and Todd met him just uh, around the time when my daughter was being born. And uh, I wound up buying heroin from him for, you know, like a year or something. Maybe a little less. And Todd wound up buying heroin from him like forever um, until he died. Um, but after, I I think I mentioned on a dopey episode where Chris was, when when Todd had just died is that my heroin dealer showed up at my work after Todd died and he like gave me this big hug and he almost broke down crying. And so did I, because we both, you know, I knew that Todd was really close with him. Todd used to hang out at his, at his like house, which was like, uh, kind of like a room in a, like a single resident occupancy kind of methadone hotel on 42nd Street. And Todd used to hang out with him. But the point is that um, I had this idea to do a segment on Dopey called uh, The Methadone Minute. And on The Methadone Minute, I would go down to a methadone clinic and have methadonians say something for a minute. And um, I went to that meeting where I ran into Hannah, the girl with the dopey tattoo, and she was really excited to participate in the Methadone Minute. So um, so I, I was there with Hannah, and then who comes out of the fucking Methadone Clinic but my old dealer? And, uh, and we sat with him for a long time talking about Todd and dopey and this and that. And um, I recorded some crazy dude talking about Sizzurp, but I think I'm just going to play you what Hannah said. So here is Hannah. Hello, this is Hannah with the Dopey Tattoo. Uh, I'm just going to tell you a real quick story because we got places to be, people to see. I was living in New Orleans around Mardi Gras, and we're all like, you know, partying, dressing up in the house. And, of course, me, I'm, like, secretly shooting, like, dope and speedballs the whole time uh, in the bathroom. There's only, like, one other person that was doing it there. And, like, all the rest of my friends, maybe they probably knew, but they were, like, whatever. Like, Hannah's being a stupid junkie. And uh, I hit something weird in my arm. It was probably an artery, to be honest. And my hand started swelling up and I was wearing all these rings. And then I got hives all up my arm. And like, I was so freaked out. It's actually happened a few times since. Um, And so like, I've gotten, I got used to it. I don't, I'm clean now. But uh, my, my big joke, once I realized I wasn't dying, I put my hand behind my, my back and I would go up to people and I'd be like, did anybody order the sausage? And then I'd put my hand in their face. Did you freak them out? Yeah, they were like, what the fuck, Hannah? But like, I thought it was funny because I was all like cracked out and like crazy on speedballs. And they were like, Hannah, like, come on. Like, it was more sad. And I thought it was like the most genius thing I ever said. Classic dopey. Oh, God. 
Anyway, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Toodles. And that was our first Methadone Minute. Actually, our second Methadone Minute. Indio was the first one. And, uh, and Hannah coming on Dopey makes me think of this other email that I never got to read, and I want to read it. It's from uh, this woman named MJ, who's the second woman who got the Dopey tattoo. And I'm going to read her email. You ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, Dave. Never did I imagine I would be writing in without Chris. I discovered Dopey a little over a year ago while I kicked opiates and alcohol cold turkey in a semi-truck traveling the country. That was by far a terrible idea and didn't stick. Long story short, I'm sorry, long story short, hopefully one day I can tell this one. I ended up using and drinking again and then ended up back home in Michigan. However, a month later I was in detox and have remained clean and sober since. You and the rest of Dopey Nation have helped and can, is it Dopey Nation or the Dopey Nation? Anyway, I always say the Dopey Nation, but you and the rest of Dopey Nation, I guess it's Dopey Podcast or the Dopey Podcast, but Dopey Nation, I don't know. You and the rest, I always say dope, the Dopey Nation, but you and the rest of Dopey Nation have helped and continue uh, to help me live my life in a positive, healthy, sober way. Anyway, I have religiously listened to you two since the discovering of Dopey Nation while hallucinating from withdrawals somewhere between Florida and Connecticut. You've been an inspiration and a core part of my recovery. I had planned on writing or calling in at 30 days, which turned into 90 days, which then I told myself six months, blah, blah, blah. However, today I'm 11 months sober after a solid 10 years of insane opiate and alcohol addiction. I have quite a few dopey stories I've accumulated over my reckless journey. And here I am finally writing in and kicking myself because Chris is gone. He and I had so much in common from people pleasing to SMI to a horrible head injury to rumble strips being the only thing to able to wake me from snooze cruising. I am terribly sorry for your loss, all of our losses. Chris was the start of an overdose domino effect. Shortly after him, I lost two friends. It's a sobering fact that any of us could easily get entangled in the deadliness of obsession and desire. We must be aware of ourselves constantly. I think it's a daily practice. We need to constantly be checking in on and reminding ourselves and each other. When you two said you'd pay anyone to get the dopey tattoo, I was all in. But alas, I am a grand procrastinator. So I took it upon myself and got the dopey ink yesterday with the toodles in memory of Chris. I'm super pleased to have this as a reminder of the fact that we can laugh at our stupidity while all the while continuing to live worthy and satisfying life without drugs and alcohol. Lastly and importantly before I go... Shout out to Hot Wheels. I called him back in May when I was teetering on a rather thin line. He helped talk me back to the sober side. We've managed to stay in touch here and there. He's a wonderful soul. You're doing a phenomenal job, Dave. Please keep it up. If you'd like to read this, Cool Beans. I'm open to sharing some stories. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Many blessings and, of course, toodles. Uh, MJ. P.S. Please don't use my last name, and I'll send another photo once the tat has healed. Thank you, MJ. I love uh, that email, and I'm so glad that uh, Hot Wheels was able to help you, and uh, and you and Hannah have to get together. What I need to do is put the fucking live dopey together. Like, maybe, I mean, I'd love to hear how many people would actually come. 
you know, I need to have a head count. And if it's like more than a hundred or more than 200, we would rent a theater. I'm thinking it's not going to be that many people. So if you're listening and you think you'd want to come to New York for a live dopey where we'd have storytellers and dopey nation convention and good sober fun, fucking let me know. But don't bring drugs to the dopey convention because that would be fucked up. And the other thing I just want to say again is like, what a great thing this is for me and what a great thing that I get to share with you guys and how cool is the Dopey Nation Facebook group. And you guys like our amazing support to each other and to me. And uh, you guys should all fucking give yourselves a pat on the back. I think it's super cool. Um, and I'm honored that I'm a part of it at all. It's fucking awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Last thing before I play the Jake Fogelness Dopey appearance. It's the feud between uh, Dopey Nation or between Dopey and Dope Sick Nation or Vice, Viceland. The feud is in a holding pattern at the moment. Some shit is going on with Vice that I don't want to rock the boat. But we will see what happens in the next few weeks and I will get back to you. So like everybody, I hope you have your weapons available just in case. But right now we are at peace with Vice and Viceland. More on the war as, uh, as time marches on. All right, so here we go. Fucking Jake Fogelnest. I'm not going to talk about it. There's like a 20-minute intro on the interview. I'm just going to play it. Yo, Jake. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? What's going on? How do you feel? I'm good. Are we recording? Yeah, I just hit record. I just figured we'd see what would happen. But I wanted to introduce you and explain what you mean in my life before we get into it, okay? I, okay. Because yeah. I wanted you to hear the introduction so you know you know what this means to me, okay? Okay, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I, I will let you, I will let you talk, it's your show. Right on. <laughs> so, you guys should know, this is Jake Fogelnest on the phone, and you guys probably have seen a million things he's made, and you might have seen him in a bunch of things, but I have this history with this man that is, a, it's kind of a crazy history, because... Way back when, um, when I was in high school, I had a show on MTV. I don't know if you knew this, uh, Jake. It wasn't like my own show, but I was on a show. I had an internship, and I got on MTV on a few shows, and I felt really cool. And then I went to to college, I think, and I think around then, your show came out on MTV, Squirt TV, which was a billion times cooler than the little segments that I was doing. And I was like, oh, who's this Jake Fogelnest? And, uh, and everyone's like, oh, he's got this amazing show on MTV. So I didn't think anything of it. I go on with my life. I get another job in another place, and I start getting high and doing drugs and, and making another show, and they bring in Jake Fogelnest from MTV. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe it. It's the same guy. And I was very guarded with the show, and we met, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but I was very like bitter about the whole thing. And then my life totally fell apart. And I went to rehab, and I went to a place in Florida called Renaissance. And I'm in Renaissance, and they put me in this group, okay, um, with the tough counselor there. And the tough counselor's name was uh, McNally. And McNally says, who the fuck do you think you are? You think you're some kind of producer? And I was like, well, I produced a couple of things. And he goes, you think you're like Squirt. You think you're like Squirt. And I said, well, it's funny because I actually know that guy. 
And he goes, you're a fucking liar. You're like everybody else. You're a liar. If you know that guy, what's his name? And I'm sitting in the group and I'm like, it's Jake Fogelnest. And he was like, what? It was this crazy moment. And then, you know, fast forward 10 more years of depraved debauchery where I would be someplace in a, in a halfway house and see you on the best of the 90s or the best of the 80s or I'd see you all over the place, you know? And I would be like trying to get my shit together and I'd be like, Jake Fogelnest. And he's, he's got his shit together and he's doing everything that I would like to be doing. And, uh, and fast forward again. And uh, I finally gotten off of methadone and my mother's dying and I'm on the streets of New York and I'm walking to where I work and who do I see but Jake Fogelnest. Do you remember this? I, 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 there's, there's, keep going. Uh, there's so much that you're saying that I just, please keep going. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember the specific okay. sense of running into you on the street. It was probably 2008. My mother was dying. I was going to work in the restaurant that I work at. And there you were. And I was still pretty strung out. I was still smoking weed and I, I was probably, you know, t- taking pills here and there. And I see you on the street and, and you had your shit together and you were so calm and so kind. And you, I mean, like, of course you remembered me, but like I went through the, the story and you were like, are you okay? And I was like, not really. And, uh, and you were like, well, if you ever need anything, give me a call. You know, and I think a little while later I did, and you took me to a meeting, and then from there, uh, my mother died, and um, I met my, you know, fiance, and we had a baby, and I would see you from time to time, and and you were just this shining example of recovery, and I really always, I mean, it's funny, you're like four years younger than me, maybe five years younger than me, and I've always just admired what you do. And uh, I'm always one step behind you, Jake Fogelnest, if, if, if nothing else. And I'm so honored that you came on the show. You know, I've been trying to get you to come on the show, and I understood why you didn't want to, you know, like, because it is like a little bit of a, of a drug feeding frenzy on the show. Uh, but after you heard about what we were up to and you heard about Chris, you felt like, uh, tell, you, could, you could step in now, please. You could tell. Yeah. Your, step well, in. First of all, there much to respond to there's some stuff that you just said that i i truly had no idea about back up to uh first of all i everything you just said is so nice and and uh uh flattering that i'm I'm a little uh i'm a little taken aback you had no idea you had no idea that you met so much I, i i i i did not um um, so I kind of want to just go back for a second. What was your, what did you do at MTV? Bef- um, it, it, when, and what years was it? It was, when? it was in 1991. I was an uh-huh. intern from my high school cause we don't have a senior year. We had an internship for our senior year and my friend and I had gotten an internship at MTV that had rolled into like being segment, being like hosts of segments for like uh it was a high school magazine style show and we were like reporters on the scene and like you know we went to like what a was it called? what was it called the show was called like we care and it, it, it was like 1991 it was on for a year it was like a glorious moment in my life because like that year we would hang out with kurt loader and watch him smoke weed it was the first year of the of the real world and we met those kids you know it was yeah, like i'm just trying i'm just trying to uh first place the um 
the time period uh, of MTV. So I could, and I, and I just didn't know. Uh, so it, it, yeah, that is a couple of years before I was at MTV. Um, I think I remember. Was that the show where they uh, they gave people cameras? No, that was another thing. I don't know. Uh, but you were at MTV. You were interning. You were out of college, and then no, I was uh, in high school, Jake. I was in high school, which is why when you did Squirt. It was so meaningful to me. And let's get to your story, because fuck, my story is just, I want you to know the window dressing. parts where our story overlaps. So, first of all, maybe you had told me this, but I did not realize that you went to the Renaissance Institute rehab and had that guy, Mike McNally, as a counselor. Yes. Uh, I don't particularly um, uh, know what is up with that guy. Um, and I also don't particularly subscribe to his methodology of um, uh, uh, of how he uh, treats people uh, in recovery, and, and I think that that I think that rehab has been shut down and has been or certainly rebranded. It would have been 1996 that I uh, entered it, but. Um, I'm I'm just hearing you t- tell me the story, and I know you want to talk to me. I just have to say I'm sorry that you went through that experience um, in your journey to getting sober, because I actually think that that um, methodology of treatment, which I I I, I think even for the hard, hardest luck cases. Um, the the screaming at people and the break you down to build you back up. I don't know how the jury is out for me on how effective that is. I don't know who it would be effective for. It was certainly not effective with me, you know? Um, It was not for me uh, either. And, uh, and so I, 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 to me, it was, it was, I, I think he, I don't know what that guy is up to now, but I think he's a very small man in Florida. The Florida rehab system uh, and rehabs in general, it's, 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 it's criminal uh, what people uh, have to go through. They, they take advantage of people at their weakest possible moments, and, uh, and you can end up in a really bad situation. So I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. Well, um, you went through it too. I did. Uh, I did deal with that guy, uh, but I also got out of there kind of early. Uh, we sort of reached a stalemate. I think they realized, like, oh yeah, he's going to be okay. So I was. I don't know. It was. It was. It was strange. But it, what, what, that wasn't really even my path. That was that planted a seed, but the the real recovery came later. It planted uh, a seed for me too. I mean, I remember I went three years after you did. They, they did so many weird things to me there. They put me in the center of the circle, like, and I was a mess. Like, I had a blanket that was all burnt to, to, to shit. I had a guitar case that was broken. They would put me in the middle of the group and point at me and say that I was the most toxic person in the community. That was like their big shtick with me. It was crazy. It was a really, no, it was a crazy experience. No. That's got nothing to do with recovery. I don't know what that is. And it's irrelevant, but I heard that McNally actually wound up relapsing and he wound up becoming some sort of meth manufacturer. I'm not even joking. That's what I heard. Like, I don't know if anybody's out there that's listening. Who knows what the truth is? I heard the same thing. You did? Uh, Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. What I've heard, I don't know, but... Um, I think but, deep down, uh, I hope, I hope that he's, I mean, I just, that's a, I, I just, uh, 
uh, a second, he's a second suffering person. Yeah. My introduction to you was I came uh, to work, and this would have been, God, uh, 18, 19 years, before 9-11. Yes, uh, 1999, I believe. Maybe 1999. 2000. 1999, yes. Yeah, so 2000, 1999, 2000. Upright Citizens Brigade Theater had just opened in 1999. And I was friends with, still am, uh, Paul Shear uh, and Donna Furman, at the time Donna Feinglass, and they had uh, jobs at this at this place called Burley Bear, which yes. was a... Uh, uh, Eventually, what it was, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a bunch of colleges had closed circuit uh, uh, television uh, setups, and Burley Bear would provide uh, a certain amount of hours of programming each week to those colleges so they would have something to show on their college TV stations. And uh, Lauren Michaels uh, put some money into it. And um, and then I think it eventually got rebranded as National Lampoon because uh, but I was I think I was gone. I was long gone by then. Uh, but but I worked there very briefly and I came in um, because it was a, it was a, a, a job. It was you know, there was some it was a, it was a paycheck. It was real money uh, for for people like me and Paul Shear um, who were who had done nothing. Right. Um, like nothing. And D- Donna was doing like affiliate stuff and she wanted to do comedy and she came up with a great idea for a show and she brought in Paul and Paul brought in you. Yeah. And, and, and it was just this sort of like, it was one of these things that I'd, I'd, I'd been a part of these things where it's like, well, this is not going to last long because the people in charge don't really know what they're doing, but I'm going to take their money. Um, yeah. And I knew that. And I was like, I don't know. However old I was in 1921. Um, and um, I came in and I was sort of pre-warned about you. And I don't remember who did it, but um, they said, yes, this is guy David and he has some kind of show here and he's he's going through some troubles. And I, I just remember meeting you and instantly going, he's a, he's a heroin addict. Like, it just was like so clear to me right away that you were on heroin. Yes. yes. Um, which is the kind of thing where, um, it, it, you know, it takes one to no one. Yes. Um, I, but I just, I was like, yeah, he's scratching his face. He's nodding out. He's, he's currently, um, on drugs and I think I remember, I remember us, I vividly remember us in some sort of stairwell, yeah. uh, probably smoking cigarettes, yeah. um, and me talking to you about this, that stuff, and you being sort of interested in it, and, uh, uh, but a little like cagey, but you, you were getting, you were sort of capable of, of, of some kind of honesty with me. Um, uh, about your, your drug usage, um, and me just going, oh, that's, that's a bummer. And then I think I remember that you were, uh, let go, uh, from, were you let go from that job? What happened was I was so fucked up. I had the option of, I I just couldn't afford to get high. I had run out of money and I got really sick 
And I didn't know what to do if I was going to tell them or I was going to tell my parents that I was too sick to work. And I didn't tell them. I just checked into a detox and I told my parents and they fired me because they had given me a big contract. So they fired me because I was in breach of the contract. You were in breach of, yes, that, that I remember, it's coming back to me now. Um, I remember that it was like you had just disappeared. So your contract was sort of null and void. And they were like relieved and, because they had given yes. a, a contract to a train wreck heroin addict. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And, and, and it was sort of, and I, and then I, I stayed on there. Um, we all kind of stayed on there until the thing collapsed. Uh, well, no, it collapsed after us. It was a lot of really talented people there. Um, that uh, that had uh, raw talent that that have gone on. Not a real. There wasn't a lot. There was like me, Paul, and Donna. What about uh, me? Are you kidding me? What about me? <laughs> you know, uh, and we yes, you know, and and you know we and Brad uh, Katz. Brad Katz is doing a lot of stuff. He's, why don't I know the name Brad Katz? He's a big time editor. He he came up with the oh, yeah, idea. Brad Katz, of course. Yes, yes. Brad Katz is a, is a huge editor. It's a, yeah, of course. I've worked with Brad. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. But there was a there's yeah. I don't need to say their names. There's a bunch of people that were like like not very good, and they're out of they're they're barely in the business, or if they're in the business, they're right where they're supposed to be. Um. And uh, but I remember. That yes, now I remember you. You were just gone. You were gone, and I. I probably kept it to myself, but I was. I. I was like, well, he's gone because he can't show up to work because he's on drugs and uh, whatever. Then that thing ended. But in my uh, memory, in my memory of that conversation, you were on drugs too, and and we were standing there. But you were way smarter about it than I was because it was not, like. At, not at that time, no. You weren't on uh, drugs. Not in 1999, 2000, no. No, that that would not come back into my life until a few years later. No, so, I was sober at that time. So you could just recognize the train wreck that was me, and you were like, thank God I'm not like I this mean, fucker. I mean, everybody could. It yeah. was... Uh, I, I mean, I think I can tell you now with, uh, you, you have some time, right? Like, what do you, I have three, sure. three years and change. Yeah. So you got, th- you got three years and change. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you were, you were, you were not hiding it. Well, you, no. you know, you know, I have a theory, my theory about, um, and, and, and it really only applies, I think to, uh, opiate addiction is you can go a good, maybe two years hiding it and then like uh like uh two years in one day you cannot hide it anymore and then it is just a immediate like uh train wreck uh if you're smart like but like you no no everyone knew that you were it wasn't like just i was in on this like it was evident to everybody um it was just, what do you do with somebody that has has that problem? Um, I seem to remember them. Uh, did they send you to treatment or did they offer no. to send you to no, treatment? No, that was my big mistake is that what happened was I was working with a bunch of people for a long time. And if I had gone to them and said, I have this problem, they yeah, would have sent like they, they would have sent me. But, yeah, because it was a it was a real company, and they had they had health insurance and things like that. And, totally, uh, but it was yeah, a changing they, of the guard situation, and a bunch of new people came in, 
And yeah. they, at first, when they met me, they were like, "This kid is kind of talented." Within your, your theory about opiate addiction is totally correct. I was two years in, and the wheels came off the fucking truck. And all yeah. I would do was go to work sick and wait for KK to show up with dope so that I could do the job. And then when I was doing the job, I was totally erratic and crazy. You know, it was yeah, it was, yeah. It no, was, I just I just remember from the first moment that I. I saw you. It was it was so clear. I'm like, oh, I'm dealing with um, with an addict, with an active um, addict, and um, and I just I, I remember trying to be as much of service to you as I could in that situation. That's I, I remember this, the the conversation in the stairwell. But and then one day you were just gone, you know. Um, but but um, and I and I run into in, in New York. I'd run into you. On the on the sh- uh, the street, I re- ran into you at Katz's and stuff. And the times that I had seen you um, after that, um, you I, I maybe I just always caught you during periods where you were doing very well. Uh, but you were you were doing well, like you. Uh, no, but that was the end of like that was the end of my dark period. When you started yes. to see me, like my darkest period, I lived in Los Angeles for, and I was just like basically a shut in, you know, for many many years. When I came back to New York, there was a little bit, like there was a little final, whatever you want to call it, of, of total debauchery and fucking depravity. But I, I found my way out of it, and like you were actually. You know, as, as small of an interaction as we had, you showing me the kindness and taking me to a meeting and showing me that you could be clean because I knew your legend. You know what I mean? I knew the legend of Jake Fogelnest. And, and, and just to see you succeed, it made me think, I, I think that's something that I could do too. It was just... I want to stop you I, I, and, and just say, for, it's, it's not the legend of Jake Fogelnest. It's, it's, it's one... It's the way that the thing works, the thing that we do. It's one, you know, alcoholic addict talking to another alcoholic addict about their experience, strength, and hope. But let's get let's, let's circle around, know. though, because we've done sure. too much time without anybody really knowing your story. We've talked about my, my story. story. Your story is way more interesting than my story. And these people hear okay. my story constantly. Your okay. story, uh, now we're fucking 20 minutes in, but your story starts... Um, you know, the story that I want to tell is how your MTV career started. And, um, you know, at what point did you know you wanted to have a show? Like, how old were you? Well, I've known what I've wanted to do since I was six. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll turn 40 in, in March of uh, 2019. I feel like I've been trying to get to be a 40-year-old television producer since I was a literal child. Me too. Uh, Me I too. Finally, I finally feel like I've grown into it, uh, and only recently. Um, but uh, it wasn't necessarily that I uh, uh, I wanted to have a show. Is I, I wanted to uh, uh, make stuff with my friends. Um, uh, the problem was I, at the time... Uh, I did not have uh, very many friends, uh, so um, I, 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 you know, growing up in New York, uh, I, I was very uh, early on aware of public access television, and it, you know, which I love. It still exists to this day, and I and I think it is amazing. Uh, it's a little, it's made a little redundant uh, now by the internet, but. Um, in the uh, mid-90s, 1994, 
um, you know, basically they'll give any lunatic that fills out a couple of pieces of paperwork their own television show uh, as long as you, you know, drop off a tape. So um, that was something that I did. That was, and that was a classic moment in New York City cable history. We have to be clear about this. As any young person living in New York City at the time, when you would go to those channels, and they were like letter channels at the time, weren't they? They were like J and L and they were, K. There was, uh, yeah, you had channel C and D uh, and then J, and then eventually uh, the boxes changed and it became... Uh, Channel 16, 17, I think 34 and 69. They've changed since then. And 23 was least access. That was Channel J. That, I believe, is Channel 35. It's it's still Robin Bird. Um, is she still on? I, I think she just reruns the old episodes, yeah. I, that's what I've been... I haven't been in New York in uh, too long, so... Since uh, then? Since eight years ago, probably. Uh, uh, no, no, it's there, like, 2000, maybe four years ago. Uh, uh, I mean, I've been to New York to visit, but, like, I, I've been living in Los Angeles now for almost, like, seven years. And you're living the um, dream. You're living that dream you had when you were six. But we'll get um, there. Yeah, things are good. Um... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I started doing a public access show um, out of my bedroom, um, and it was, uh, you know, it was a, a, a very much, uh, I just started uh, digitizing them, looking at them, and I, 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 so I've recently seen what is actually on these tapes. I got very nervous that they were going to uh, not work, because they've been sitting in a closet for a while, but uh, they've held up uh, uh, for 25 years, and uh, I've been transferring them. And uh, I was expecting it to be like, you know, maybe a, a couple hours of uh, interesting stuff. Uh, but no, actually, it, it, it's, it, was, it was quite good and charming. Uh, uh, it, was a, it was a show hosted out of my bedroom uh, where I basically talked about whatever I wanted, showed some music videos, talked about pop culture, what was going on in the news. And then sometimes uh, uh, as the show got sort of popular, it became like a, like a cult hit in Manhattan very, very quickly, bands would start to, you know, come on the show or I'd be invited places. And it it was, and then it eventually um, landed on um, MTV. Now, um, yes. So, you know, the other side of that is uh, I uh, was a kid. uh, When was the show, the the show started, you were 13 years old? I was 14. Uh, so it started in 94. And it was called Squirt TV. You have to, yeah. you have to mention that so people can look it up. It was called it was called Squirt TV. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's some of it on YouTube. And I'm going to figure out some sort of way. I am going to make some of it available. I'm not sure how. Or it's, it's not my top priority right now. <laughs> but, right. Uh, what was your favorite uh, thing you did on Squirt in the, before it was on MTV? What was, like, your best memory? You know, I, it's it's... My my best memories of it was like just the sort of uh, instant nature of it of of being able to come up with uh, like a comedy idea uh, or you know something would happen in 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 pop culture and that I would be able to uh, put it on a tape. I mean it's 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 quaint when I think about it now. but that I would be able to think of something on a on a Thursday and have it be on television Sunday night 
with total, with complete creative control, um, is amazing. Now everybody can do that. Literally anyone can do that uh, from their bedroom. Everybody has a talk show from their bedroom on YouTube. It's you know. No, uh, but it's the same but, thing, Jake. It's just the difference is you had to jump through hoops. To yeah, get it exactly. on. That's my point. It was, it was, it was a little bit more difficult. But even people it, now, even people now, it's like you have to commit yourself to do it. It's like so many people I, are like. I, I, so you have to be good too. You know what I mean? But I, there, there was some natural instinct, I, 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 I guess that was there, and I, I, I don't know where it came from. Of just. Um, I mean, there was certainly like a Letterman uh, uh, inspiration and a, and a Stern inspiration, but I, 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 I somehow instinctively knew how to like structure and, and format a show to keep people watching. Um, and I don't know where that came from. I'm, I'm now, uh, now I could tell you like, you know, but, uh, you know, I feel like I got lucky twice in my life uh, with my career. It probably well, didn't. It probably come from the fact that you watched a lot of TV as a kid. I, yeah, I, yeah, but there's a lot of people who watched a lot of TV as a kid. But you, you wanted know, to I, make TV. I, I was the same I way. Guess so yeah, you yeah, know. I guess so. Yeah. I, so I guess if you want to do it, then you're watching it through a new. You're, you're watching it through two lenses. You're watching it through the lens of someone who's just enjoying television, and then you're watching it through the lens of somebody who's trying to figure out how to make television. And you know what you like. You're like, I like that. That was that was the thing. Was I had very clear defined taste and uh, and the beginnings of what you would call um, some sort of comedic voice and um, that uh, came across um, and uh, and yes it was it was successful as a public access show and then it, and then it became an MTV show and then um, uh, you know if you throw that much, uh, external validation and uh, success at a young teenage boy in the uh, mid 90s of New York City uh, at a you know you have to remember what was uh, like I was I was fresh out of rehab uh, just in time to see train spotting at the Angelica Film Center like there was definitely, and I don't, and, and I, and, and it's been interesting because I've been sober now for a while. And I, 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 I feel like I've seen a couple of waves now of, oh, heroin's back, right, you know, right. and, uh, or, oh, cocaine is happening. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the particular time, 94, 95, 96, New York City, uh, was one of those times. It was one of those times. Right. It was one of those. Times. What was the What was the I thing? Guess, when was it never? I guess it's. I guess it's always the uh, time, though, for somebody. Exactly. <laughs> no, for real. I mean, totally. Because it's like in that time, though, it was really, really enmeshed with pop culture, with music culture, with I mean, with hipster culture. Chic. Yeah. It was. It, I mean, it was. Uh, it was really enmeshed with that. But and, what led uh, you there? What was the beginning of your addiction? Like, what was the the start? Well, you started smoking now, weed. What was it? No, I mean, I think the addiction begins uh, actually way, way earlier than that. I think it begins, like, at uh, childhood. Um, I remember being six years old and uh, out to dinner um, with a bunch of people, and then it was like, you know, it's funny, like, oh, give the kid a a glass of, uh, a sip of the wine, 
you know. And then I proceeded to uh, sneak drinks of uh, everybody's wine. Not sneak, but just when, when nobody was looking. I, I guess that is sneaking. Yeah, that's sneaking. Take sips of wine because um, uh, I liked it. You know, until finally I threw up in the restaurant and they stu- carried me stumbling home drunk at, at six years old. So I think I was just genetically predisposed. Uh, predisposed. I had the thing that said, hey, you've got the alcoholic thing. So from the get go, right. it was it, it just was it, it's just the way my brain is wired. Um, neither of my parents um have uh, have the disease of uh, alcoholism. Uh, uh, I, 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 you know, I just got lucky. <laughs> well, I just got uh, lucky. I, 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 uh, I, and I actually, you know, I say that as an uh, as a joke, but I say that actually uh, sincerely as well because um, there's been a lot of great gifts to, that have come my way because of recovery. And uh, well, they say there are very, alcohol. very few alcoholic and drug addicted Jews. You know, I think there's only... Is that true? Well, that's what I say. There's as many drug-addicted alcoholics as Jews as there are big sports legends. There are very few. That's not true. There's I, a shitload of junkie Jews. Lenny yeah. Bruce, fucking... You name it. There's junkie Jews all over the place. Rodney Dangerfield is some kind of drug addict. What's his yeah, face? No, no, the, there's a yeah, lot no, of junkie the, Jews. Forget yeah, that. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, the, the, it doesn't discriminate. Uh, there's one thing I've, I've learned, I think, and I'm sure you've seen it too. The disease does not discriminate uh, uh, any, anybody. Uh, anybody can uh, catch it. But yeah, no, it start, the, I think the addiction stuff started uh, very, very young. Um, and the underlying issues of why I want... Because what I was looking for... Uh, when I was an active alcoholic and, and drug addict was I was looking to feel nothing. Um, I wanted to turn off my brain. I wanted to feel nothing. Numbness, shut it down, shut my brain off. I was not a social drug user. I was a let me, I mean, you, you talk about uh, isolating in uh, in Los Angeles or whatever an apartment like that was that was my kind of thing. I was just like, I'm gonna go home and get the drugs. I'm gonna do them by myself, and I'm just gonna sit here and not feel anything. But when did that behavior? Um, when did that behavior start to show itself? That behavior started to show itself um, for the for, for the first time. I, I think when I was 17. Um, uh, that's when you know I ended up uh, going into a rehab. Um, was that Renaissance now, then? Yes, that was Renaissance. The only rehab I've ever been to. What I, was the I, scenario I, that got you shipped to Renaissance? Well, what happened was I was doing my little MTV show. Yeah. And uh, y- you know, um, much like you at uh, at uh, that company, yeah, uh, Burley Bear. Uh, maybe I wasn't hiding it so well anymore. Right. And one day, my parents showed up at my uh, office and they said, uh, you know, hey, what's going on? And uh, you seem like you're on drugs. And uh, uh, the, the, the jig was up and that was, uh, that was the end of everything. Uh, so I thought it was, of course, the beginning of everything, but it was the at the time it was the end of any, everything. So they dragged me out of my little office that I had, and uh, I was in uh, I was in a detox on Long Island that night. Right. And and that and, was that the end of the show. They said there's no more Squirt TV. It's done. You're washed up. Well, you fucked it up. Much like you, much like you, uh, they were waiting for me to show up again, and I was busy. 
So that was how that show came to an end. You see how much we have in common? We do. We have we have a very very specific thing in common, um, and uh, um, so yeah. So that was uh, you know I, I was all washed up by seventy. Right, and then what happened? Then what happened is I got very lucky. I got some I got uh, some, some some sobriety, and uh, the second greatest uh, piece of luck to happen was that the Upright Citizens Brigade moved to New York City from Chicago. Now, when that LA. was happening, were you were you going to meetings? Was the sobriety yes. just... Okay, you, so you went out of Renaissance, and they were like, you should go to meetings every day, and you were like, I'm going to give I this did, a try. I, got, I did the whole thing. I okay. did the whole thing for a couple of years until, you know, uh, 17 is very, very young to get sober. My heart goes out, and, and I'm impressed with anyone that gets sober at 17 and doesn't have a relapse. Uh, that is not my story. Uh, my story goes like this. UCB opens. Oh, my God, this is everything I've been searching for my entire life. It's a community of people who all want to do the same thing that I want to do. And um, at, at the time, this was in the early days, the theater opened up in 1999. There was not many, you know, now you think about Upright Citizens Brigade. It is an institution. There are uh, two theaters um, on the East Coast, two theaters on the West Coast. There are thousands of students. Um, we had one theater on 22nd Street. It barely seated 100 people. And um, I want to say there are about 100 of us. And what is uh, amazing is that that group of 100 people all seem to have found uh, success in the entertainment industry. Uh, some are uh, enormously uh, successful, but everyone's working. And the, and the magical thing about it is we're all still friends with each other. Uh, it's I, like I, it, it sounds like it sounds like the CBGBs of comedy. It, it, you know, I, I would ne I will say CBGBs much much cooler. Um, there is no um, comparing uh, people doing um, the Herald to uh, uh, the Ramones. Um, uh, I, I just as a as a uh, a, a fan. Of, uh, of of Blondie and Talking Heads, I cannot put it on the same level as anything that we did. But Jake, isn't that interesting? Because like I know you, and I and I follow what you're into, and I know what a music fan you are, and what a New York City punk rock music fan you are, yeah. and the stories of that place are that the people who who started it all went on to do something. It's like it was or like. Die. No, there was yeah. a lot of yeah, know, or die. We had a lot less, uh, less death. There are some, yeah, we had a lot less death. Uh, 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 although there are, you know, some of us now that you know no longer, uh, there, you know, um, it's funny because uh, you know I, I, I've been thinking about it. It was the 20th anniversary of the theater opening uh, 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 recently, and and I was like, wow, 20 years—that's crazy. 20 years have gone by, um, and I, I, you know, I, I went back and was looking at some old uh, journals and stuff, thinking, oh, you know, I, yeah, we did a lot of drinking and messing around. Um, but actually, we did a lot of work. We, we were crazy committed. Uh, uh, it's pretty crazy to stay up till three o'clock in the morning, you know, perfecting sketch comedy um, to uh, 
a theater that you're not sure you're going to be able to fill up 100 people, you're not getting paid. There's no guarantee that you're going to go on to any success. And I mean, it, it, in, in the entertainment industry, it was real, real madness. We were doing it because we loved it. We didn't know what else to do. And we were having fun and we got to learn and fail. And it was great. But in the midst of that, because I got um, uh, sober so young, uh, you know, around my 20 first birthday, I said, you know what, uh, it's been a couple of years. I think I have it under control. I'm going to have a, I'm just going to have a drink. I think, I think I can handle so it. So you're with and your UCB buddies. You're at the bar. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really with UCB. I think it was, a, I was at another bar with like, you know, just some other friends, but it was just sort of like, I think I can handle it. And, um, you weren't thinking about about dope. You weren't thinking about no. getting wasted. You were thinking, I can I can be normal. I can be normal. I think I can ha- I can I can drink normally. And uh, and here's what happened. I had a drink, and uh, the world did not collapse under me. Everything was pretty okay. Things did not get unmanageable. I look at it as a long like six or seven year slow decline wow. until it got back to the uh, 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 d- drugs and, and uh, isolating and, and, and the really bad stuff, which didn't last all that long, but um, yeah, it got unmanageable. So it the six and seven year period, you're, you're working, was that all the VH1 work stuff then? Or was, it, or was um, yeah, that later? I think while I was, VH1 is like happening, like what, like I love the 70s yeah. and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think at that time, I yeah, I was certainly casually drinking, you know, um, casually drinking, not involved in um, recovery, um, drinking. I think my life would have been better without the drinking. Um, but you, but you were, uh, that was that was period. It. And just to, just yeah. to tell the fans, like, in, in on VH1, and it was probably in the early the early two thousands. They would do all these shows, and they were really entertaining shows. I love the seventies. I love the eighties. I love yes. hip hop. I love New York. Right? Me and all these. Well, yeah. These people. You, you hold up a Rubik's cube, and be like, "Yeah, I remember the Rubik's cube," and that was it. You know. And but the, for their time, they were a lot of people watching. They were entertaining. I was one of the people that was like a talking head. It was like, what it was in best week ever. It was a great gig it was, it was kind of like everybody's first gig and it 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 helped a lot of people sustain like making a living and you know i don't know how you could do it today in new york city it's totally different um to be a young artist in new york city is I, i'm talking about on the island of manhattan it's probably impossible uh, but it was, yeah. That, you that, need that, another source of income or you need someone to take care of you. But when you yeah, were doing yeah, that, yeah. I was all fucked up in treatment going, look at this fucking Jake Fogelnest on VH1 loving the Rubik's Cube. This, uh, you know, I, I you just imagine me look, in some bathrobe. Do you look at it now and go realize how small it all is though that it was oh. like me in a in a in a in a room in midtown that was a closet that where they set up a green screen just, and then they paid five hundred dollars like. dude it's just so funny though because for you to imagine some junkie you met in 1999 shaking his fist at the television i just think it's funny 
You know what I mean? I just find the whole thing to be Yeah, that, I get you that like that, that kind of resentment, you know, yes. comparing compare yes. and despair thing. Yes. Like, that should have been me. Yes, I should have the I, Rubik's Cube. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I should be, yeah. Yes, I yes. should be doing the show that do, nobody gets yes. residuals for. Yes, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. He's living the dream. Yeah, um, living the dream. Exactly. Oh, my God, that is so funny to think about that time period in my life as living the dream is... Uh... <laughs> but it's... But, I mean, that's the funny thing about this story to me. That's why, like, I mean, your story of recovery is obviously very compelling, but the fact that it had... That I was watching not getting my shit together and seeing you and thinking all these weird thoughts, it's just fascinating to me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I, I, I think it speaks to... You're, you're talking about the disease right there, you know, like yes. that's what alcoholism does. Exactly. It's like, you know, uh, you know, it's easier probably to focus on, you know, me, you know, uh, and what I was up to than it was to look at your own stuff. It's always easier to, you know, uh, uh, for uh, alcoholics are, are genius at that. Like, you know, uh, that person's really messed up. Let me be in judgment of them. Right. Uh, because or or you know because then you don't have to look at your own stuff. Let's get and, let's let's move forward though because I want to I want to know like what was how did that that slow decline escalate like what what happened there you just turned out that you were actually an alcoholic. It's I mean, it's pretty boring. It's just, event, you know, you're drinking and you're drinking and you can handle the drinking. And then eventually, you know, again, there's another wave and, and uh, you know, some dope showed up. And then it was like, oh, I'll try that. I've been able to handle the drinking. And I was able to handle that every once in a while, you know, uh, for a little while. Uh, and then I wasn't, you know. I mean, it's really the same story as anybody else who um, who – who has that story. Like it just, it showed up. Uh, uh, I, I did it, you know, one day turns into two days. Oh, looks like I've got a, uh, you know, a problem. And, uh, and then it's like, um, you know, what was different was, you know, how, you know, it got bad. And then, you know, June 26th of, uh, 2006, I, 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 you know, cause I was, you know, got to the point as I think it does for many, um, alcoholics where you, you just, you, you go to bed with that kind of secret hope, like maybe I won't wake up, you know, like right, it's just sure. be easier, sure. it's just be easier. Maybe I won't wake up. Yeah. I, I kept waking up was the problem. I kept waking up and, um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it, and, and it was starting to, uh, it was starting to affect things. It was starting to affect friendships. It was starting to affect work. It was, it was rearing its ugly head. And, um, I said, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. I can't live like this. Anymore. And you wouldn't, and you I can't pinpoint, remember. you can't pinpoint like a specific bottom at that point. You just were like, this is enough. I, it was, I, I can pinpoint a moment where I said, all right, well, let me try. I can pinpoint running up the stairs of uh, the midnight group on um, House and Houston Street. Yeah, Houston Street. Running up those stairs, a meeting I'd been to many, many times before, and just that I had that gift of desperation that they talk about. And I remember, you know, 
running and, and just, just going, I can't, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. And just have, having a weight lifted off my shoulders, knowing that there was a place to go. Then I remember maybe a day or two later trying some, you know, like, all right, I'm going to go out and have two beers. Uh, you know, the controlled drinking experiment. Wait, so you go to and, midnight and, and you, you went to midnight cause you were feeling desperate, but you weren't done is what you're saying. But this is like within like a week. Right. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like I went, then it's just like, all right, controlled drink. Let me see before I commit to this and, and really do everything that they say I have to do. Let me see if I can go out tonight and just have two beers that failed so spectacularly. <laughs> That that I remember being like, okay, well, it's it's done. I don't know how I'm going to live without this, but I will figure that out and I will do everything that they tell me to do. And uh, that was June 26, 2006. You realized your wheels had spun and you, you, they weren't going to yeah. hit the ground again. And you were like, I don't no. want, I don't want to. I have a dream and I want to be this thing. I I wasn't. I had I had to figure out a, a new way to live. I had to figure out a new way to live. It was, there was no other option. It, 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 it's, uh, it just finally got to a place. It was a gift of desperation. It just finally got to a place where it's just like, this is unmanageable. This is unmanageable. And I'm not, and I'm not going to die. I'm, I'm here slowly trying to kill myself and it's not working. Right. I never, over, I never had an overdose in my life. Right. You know, I, 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 uh, I never even close. You know, it's just, you know, drugs and alcohol agree with my system too, almost too well, right. you know? So, um, I said, I, I got to find a new way to live. And this is the only thing that I've seen this recovery, this 12 step recovery is the only thing that I've seen that yields any kind of long-term results. Right. It's the only way. And, um, and so, uh, and, and I, and it seems to be the case. It seems to be the case. So the seed that was planted at Renaissance, like you were like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember how yeah. I got my shit together. I can do that again. Yeah. And I, and the years that I, you know, the one or two years, 17, 18, 19, whatever it was where I, you know, was going to meetings. I always, I never had a problem with the program. I never, you know what I mean. Uh, I, uh, you know, I didn't like that uh, that rehab, um, and I don't think anybody did. And I don't think that they run rehabs like that um, anymore. At least I hope not. Um, I'm sure uh, they do. I'm sure that's like a. It's like some parents yeah, want just, their kids to go someplace where they're going to get broken down because they think look, that's going to work. Some and look, that there are some cases where that is that you need to do that. You know what I mean? I know, you know, uh, I have certainly know some people that, you know, have had a hard time, you know, putting together, you know, a year of sobriety or, uh, you know, and for people like that, but I still think there's a better, you know, there's a better way to do it long-term, uh, therapeutic communities and things like that. I don't know. I, I, it's not. I lost you. Um, We're back. We're back. Um, I don't know if you want to do an edit. Uh, it's not my, you know, I'm not in the rehab business, so I don't know what, like how they're run. And, uh, and then, you know, I always, it's funny when people, when I talk to people, new people 
newcomers or whatever and and they're thinking about going into treatment i get jealous of them i'm like wait a minute like you're you're fighting this idea of like you get to go and for 30 days all you have to do is worry about like going to meetings and being sober that sounds amazing (laughs) i wish i could do that i I always like the bullshit (laughs) i like the the like we're trapped together in the rehab i like oh i get to learn these stories of people like i'm really always like i always like treatment because there's also like food and like i'm taken care of and it's safe like i like all of it to be honest with you i know that makes me very weird but i always like i never minded going to treatment at all um well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the trick is what you do. I mean, I've only been the once and it was and it was a long, long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I've, been, I, I've it, been to so many uh, public detoxes and I never minded going because it was always like an adventure to me, to be honest with you. I always right. like I, that's one of the reasons that we started doing the show is because I thought there were so many adventures, not only in the drug taking, but in the recovery you find yourself in places that you never would have found yourself. Um, now, when you started to get clean, you know, the first meeting you walked into, you just raised your hand and you said, you know, I fucked up and it worked yeah. out. Yes. And that was really, that is always what I tell people, especially people that are having a hard time, you know, relapsing, like addicts uh, attach so much. We attach shame to everything. Uh, alcoholics attach shame to everything in general, but we attach extra shame around uh, uh, relapse. Now, I'm not saying that that as a license for people to go out and relapse and stuff, but to come back and raise my hand and know that it was okay and that nobody was like in judgment of me, that they understood like uh, was was really uh, essential for me. Now, after, really, really essential. Abs- yeah, and, and I mean, like that—that that idea of that you can't be judged. You know what I mean? That—that that we all, you know, that's not the point. The point is—is is to find the good part. You know what I mean? And, and to oh, yeah. try to. And the point is, how do we stay? How do we stay sober one day at a time? You know, like you know, talking to each other about the thing. And and, and it's a, and I very early on, I said, I don't know why the thing works, but it works. Why the phenomenon of one. Uh, alcoholic talking to another alcoholic. I don't know why that works, but it works, and I don't need to know why. It just does. Yeah, I felt this. I was incredibly resistant to the whole thing forever. You know, that's yeah. why I, you know, I have 30 years at 44, and I had many, many years out there doing ridiculous stuff. I was incredibly resistant to joining up and saying that it works. But at this point, you know, 12 step recoveries saved my life. And, uh, And, you know, there's a million ways that people do this. And I don't, you know, whatever, you know, makes somebody happy, whatever makes somebody safe, good for them. My life was saved through 12-step recovery. And uh, and I advocate it. And also, like, I love what it does. I love that it it basically you find a broken down building, you demolish the building, you take every piece out of the foundation, and then you can rebuild because the foundation is clean. And, and I exactly. love that. I love that. Now, when yeah. you got clean, your whole career changed trajectories. You know, you've done so many cool things. You know, what, what's, what's your favorite thing you've done? I mean, I'm, I, I read an interview with you uh, today, you know, on The Fix, where you talked about your life, just that you love to be able to get up in the morning, clear-headed and, and right. And I feel the yeah. same way. You know, it's yeah. like, what a gift. Uh, but everybody loves, I mean, you do so many cool shows. I mean, if you guys don't know what Jake has done, 
He wrote uh, for Wet Hot American Summer. He wrote for Billy on the Street. You show ran Girl Boss. You you uh, wrote. Show, no, Kay, Kay Cannon was the uh, showrunner on uh, uh, Girl Boss. She's uh, uh, I, I ran a show the first season of Corporate right. from Comedy Central. That was my first time as a showrunner. And how and what out of all these shows, like, do you have a favorite? Are you allowed to say a favorite? You know, to me, it's really uh, no. I don't have a, a, a favorite. I'm and uh, uh, I. It's always it's always what I'm working on right now, or the thing I'm about to start working on. Um, uh, I I'm proud of all of all of those things, and like you know, you know, I all I really got to do what I'm getting to do what I, I did always want to do. Like if anything, hosting a talk show out of my bedroom was, um, a detour from what I wanted to do. Um, when I used to watch, um, Saturday night live as a kid, I didn't want to, uh, be in the cast. I wanted Lauren's job. Right. Um, right. that was, you know, the weird thing about me score TV happened because, um, there were, I, you know, I didn't have access to a sketch comedy ensemble. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, writing and creating, uh, you know, the, the goal has always been to write and create stuff, uh, with my friends. So I've, I've been very lucky to do that. And, um, and a couple of the things people have liked too. No. So that's awesome. You know, that's great. Um, people have loved uh, a lot of what people have loved a lot of the stuff you've done, but it's so funny how much people are attached to squirt TV because oh, you are this. this what, yeah. I, you know, I realized that it's, it's sort of like, um, I, I, it's always going to be part of my story and that is totally okay. It's like, you know, John Waters has, uh, done so many things, but he's always going to be known for, he made divine eat dog shit. You know, it's just, if you do this, you know, not that me hosting a talk show when I was a teenager is, is equivalent to divine eating dog shit. Um, nothing is, but, um, if you do this very, um, unique thing, and especially if you do it at a very young age, um, um, people are always going to want to talk about that. That is always going to be a part of my story. And I, I'm now at a place where it's like, you know, because there is so much, um, that's not, that story that like I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. In fact, it's been interesting to revisit it uh, uh, lately with, with, with fresh eyes and go, Oh my God, I was just a kid, but you know, I, I see why this thing took off. The no, this story is, is a story of balls and innocence and chutzpah and desire and ambition. And that you happen to know the genetics of making a television show. That that's what it is, you know? And, and I love that story because of it. You were, you know, you had it built into your DNA, like you said, and I think you were just, you were into it. I just, I, I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to do, I, I would li- I would sit in the kitchen in my, my mother's, uh, in my apartment, and my mother would listen to Rambling with Gambling on AM radio, sure. and, and I was just like, this gambling is so relaxed sitting there, and I, and I just remember thinking how much I wanted to do that, and then I would watch like Regis and Kathy Lee and think how much, how relaxed Regis seemed, and how happy he seemed, and I loved the idea. Yeah, you know, I, And I never got to do it. You know, me doing it was me and Chris fucking talking about getting fucked up you know i got to make tv shows that were barely barely seen you know what i mean my career is not like your career but i, I have the same passion for it and i have the same love of it and so, 
What's that? So, but like, what do you, so, but, so, and that was the thing, like, you, you know, what, what is going on now? Like, what is, you know, you, I'm so sorry you lost your friend. And, and it, and we talked about it a little bit, uh, off the air. Um, yeah. and I, you know, it's, it, it, and it sounds like it was sort of shocking. It was sort of like out of nowhere kind of thing or, um, uh, you know, now, you know, you still, you know, are, you are doing something. You've continued doing the show. You know what I mean? Maybe the, maybe the tone of the show takes on a different, um, thing now. It does. You know, it, it's, event has happened, the show, you have an, you have an audience that has been with you and, and, um, and I think you kind of have to keep doing it and see where it takes you. Well, I believe that the show can be something. Like, I always said that, and I said that from the beginning. You know, like, I'm such a Stern show, and I always felt that Stern, that Howard did his show so well because you felt like you were with your friends, and you felt like you were part of his group of friends. And who knows how friendly they actually are or were, but I felt like I was one of them, and and I and I remember I would listen from six in the morning till whenever he stopped. You know what I mean? Sure. And sure. I remember I would go cop dope, and I would come home and like, you know, they would be playing the Gorillas on K Rock. You know, by the time I came home, and I would be like, "Fuck, I missed the end of Stern." But the point was like that he kept me company, and I wanted Dopey to do the same thing. And I figured because Chris and I were addicts in recovery. And there are so many addicts who don't have anything to do that we could keep them company, you know. And, oh, and, sure. And, I mean, and, but I will say this: there's, there's, you know, right now, addicts and alcoholics. I just think that you know, right now, people are uh, pod, broadcasting and podcasting, you know, which I think is, are, are, are very similar. You know, it's a very intimate medium. People form a relationship because I did radio for many years. I know. I feel like I feel bad. I had all these notes, and I skipped your yeah. radio career. And yeah, you know, and yeah, it was. You know, that was like the best uh, day job in the world for me. But uh, why did you? You had you had a show on K Rock, and, yes, um, and and yeah. and then you had a show on Sirius, and yes. it says you walked away from it to pursue uh, your TV writing. Yeah. It. It. Uh, basically, I mean, I. Uh, that was that was such a great job, Sirius XM. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I basically just introducing songs on the radio and stuff. It's such an easy job. It's not creatively fulfilling. It became like data entry, uh, at the end for me. Uh, but I, I, um, I kept it. I held on to, I did not know, you know, Hey, am I gonna, I didn't know that I was going to be, uh, you know, EPing a show, uh, you know what I mean? (laughs) I kept my radio. I said to them, I have to move to Los Angeles. I said, I can do my job from LA. I know that you, there's a studio out there. Would you let me move to Los Angeles? And they said, yes. And I said, thank you. So I was able to move to LA and still have the same job. I just did it from LA instead of New York. But were you doing a couple jobs at once at that point? And oh my goodness! So I was working in 2014. There was an eight-month period where I was working at Funny or Die, and I was there all day. And I was writing, producing sketches and stuff, 
And then afterwards, I would go, and it was all the way on the other side of town in Los Angeles. I would go to the SiriusXM studio, and I would record the two daily radio shows that I did uh, for two channels. Uh, and uh, so th- th- those were long days. Then I, I, I said to Sirius, I said, I believe there is technology that would allow me to record this from my house. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, yes, there is. I just, basically what happened was I said, I'm going to hold on to this Sirius XM job until I no longer have the hour in the day that it takes me to do it. Right. And I, I when I was writing on Wet Hot American, so as more jobs started to accumulate, um, I was working on Wet Hot American Summer. And I said, guys, I'm going to leave one channel. I only am going to be on one channel now. And they were like, okay, Sirius XM were so great to me. They were like, whatever you want to do, we want you in any way that you want to be here. Um, and I had built a lot of goodwill that, uh, because of my um, showing up. Because of the sobriety, I built a lot of goodwill with Sirius XM. And um, I said, so I dropped to one channel. Then it was like, all right, I'm only doing it from the weekends. I'm recording it from my house. Finally, I, I came back to New York and I was starting Difficult People and I, I called them and I said, I'm sorry, I think it's time. And they said, no problem. You come back anytime. I still will go do Stern wrap-up show when I can. And, like, I have a great relationship with Sirius. But I, 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 left, that, I left because I no longer had that hour in the day. And, um, and, I, and, I, and the, 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 the TV writing worked out, which is what I really wanted to do. So I, um, you know, uh, there are some days where, uh, you know, writing is hard and, uh, and and sometimes the hours can be very long. So I have my moments where I go, why did I leave the job? I worked an hour a day. I made decent money. <laughs> it was right. stupid. But I, uh, no, I don't, I, I, I don't miss it. <laughs> you know, you, so you don't, you, you never, you never, no. you, like, what's your favorite, like, who's your, I know that you love Howard, but like, love who's that. your favorite DJ that played music? I didn't care about that stuff <laughs> like you didn't have one you didn't have like like Steve Jones no. has an amazing show but- I like uh, I like Cousin Brucey I mean like I mean like radio personality like like I well, like well your uh, shows you got to play whatever you wanted right no I was uh, I was playing I mean I did a show like that at K-Rock but no at Sirius XM I was just playing what was standing to me uh, I was allowed but here's the thing I was allowed to play I was like please um um, care. Tell us what you'd like to play on the radio. We'll, we'll play it. And I would occasionally weigh in, but I didn't really care because I stopped caring about music around 1997. Uh, so I, I just didn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't of interest to me. That's uh, so. That's I what was, triggers it. The end of music that you liked that was coming out. Well, yeah. I mean, there was there was like, there's some things that have come out and stuff. And now you know, like it's I, funny. I just finish i just directed a couple of music videos so it'll be like you know like i still like new music but like and, I, and the music that i was playing was was of was cool and everything but it was like i wasn't sitting there picking picking the songs like i i i, I know that kind of is sort of dispels a myth that i was there and actively involved and uh but i really no, i just, just knew that go. you were a music head and i just figured I, yeah, but he, it's yeah my but, but it's my specific Thing. You know, I, I'll tell you, as, yeah. as a 44-year-old man, I, I have the hardest time liking anything that I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I really struggle with it. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Even it's like, it's like I need it to be perfect 
for me, like perfectly for me, for me to like it. You know what I yes. mean? Or, yeah, or like, totally or, or maybe yeah. I missed something. Like I had never heard fucking Johnny Thunders. I had never listened to Johnny Thunders until. Good, yeah, it was good stuff there. That's my, see, that's my favorite thing is I love when I, there'll be something older that I've missed. Right. And I'll be like, I didn't know about th- this. Right. Oh, right. Or rediscovering something. But then there are, you know, there's a couple new bands and stuff that, you know. Who's like, good? Like, tell, tell the, tell the dopey well, nation I just, who's I good. Got, uh, I, I got, uh, there's a band called uh, Swearin', been around for a while. Allison Crutchfield, uh, her band, and I just directed a couple music videos for them that'll be coming out in October. You like the uh, music or you just like the gig? Yeah, I like the music. I like the music. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't just direct playing. a music video, uh, I wouldn't direct a music video for a band that I don't like at this point because they're, I'll tell you, they, there's there's not a lot of money in making music videos. <laughs> no, I know. What a weird world. There's not even a lot of money in making music. That's the craziest thing. No, exactly. It's not. That's the craziest it's not thing. not a lucrative thing. No, I'm very happy with uh, these videos, how they turned out. But it really was a, a, a situation of a bunch of people getting together. And, like, I know we don't have a lot of money, but, like, can you, will you help? And people, I feel very, very uh, blessed. A lot of talented people donated their uh, their time. Uh, to help us pull off some stuff. So yeah, they're great. Swearing's cool, and like I don't know, like, but I, I yeah, I don't, I don't, you know. What's I, I, what's the what's the next uh, big TV thing that you're excited about? Can you tell us, or is it top secret, I or what's can. the deal? I, I, I have one thing that is literally top secret. I've never worked on something that has had so much security around it that I'm nervous to even tell you that I worked on a thing that had security around it. Right. But it'll come out. Um, I also kind of think it's fun. I, I, I reevaluated my relationship to social media and I, I, uh, uh, in like March, I took the Twitter off my phone. I was just like, I don't need to do this anymore. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, when it's time for me to let people know about a thing, I will always let people know about a thing. But there's, yeah, one thing I worked on this year that I can't uh, uh, even talk about, but I'm excited. I'm excited about. Uh, I had fun. You know, what was fun this year that uh, I, I worked on was uh, we did the. Do you see the things with uh, Will Ferrell and Molly Shannon where they're uh, the royal the, wedding? Royal wedding. Yeah, we did that. We did the rose parade at the beginning of the year. Uh, those have been fun. That was just pure silliness. Getting to work with uh, Molly and Will, and Andrew Steele, and uh, is, are they as funny as they seem? In, in you know, from from the yeah. couch in real life, they're, they're fun. They're sweet. The best people ever. Like when I think about like two of the best, like best people ever, it's Molly and Will. They really, uh, if everybody was as cool as them, the world would be a better place. Just nice and insanely funny um that's been that yeah the royal wedding that that thing was just stupid and fun and um uh, you know a lot of fun a lot a lot of fun and Uh, and so the thing that you love that's coming up is top secret um yeah it was just i was top secret and then i've got things in development which i always i never want to talk about something that's not like real no i hear you you. it's like you know but uh but yeah there's i i have a Another show that I worked uh, that I worked on that I wrote for that'll be out this year. All right. Well, well, I'll let the Dopey Nation know about it when it comes out. What about like shows? Like I, I watched this crazy show. Okay, 
and I really wanted to get your opinion on it. I don't know if you've seen it, and I wanted to see like what an actual showrunner, EP writer says about something that's not good. Like, can you sure, criticize probably, stuff? Probably nothing. <laughs> there was this show on Netflix, and it, I don't think it was good, but I loved it. It was this show called Insatiable. Did you hear about this show? No, there, there are so many shows, I, uh, I, I, and I feel bad. I don't know what that is. It I is don't. an insane show about this fat girl who loses 100 pounds and she becomes a beauty queen. Um, but the premise is that she's insatiable because she, she just, it's like very much like an addiction. She needs something to make herself feel better. But then the show spins into this crazy, like middle-class, middle-aged gay love story. Like it's just insane. You have to watch the show and then you have to tell me what you think about it. Cause I, I, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know why I'm into it. I just watched the whole show. I think it's cause nothing's on TV right now. And, and I just liked it. And I feel kind of guilty for liking it. I don't like what you like. You know what I mean? Like, we're at this point now. We're, we, we're, we're no longer in the business of broadcasting. We're in the business of narrowcasting. So, do like, your thing. like what you like. Like, I have close friends of mine. They've made entire TV shows. I haven't seen them. Because who has the time? Right. Like, you know, like friends of mine. That, you know, it used to be a friend of yours would make a TV show. You'd tune in and watch it. Right. Now, if I was to watch, a, you know, and I think this would be true of anybody. Nobody can watch everything. So you, you, so I'm very much of like, hey, you like what you like, and and uh, and get into what you get into. You know, it, 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 you know, it, there's it, 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 as long as enough people are watching that it's profitable. Right. That's that's the uh, the that's margin the, of the profit. Now we're never going to have a situation where it's rare. You know, that's why you know. Roseanne, it was insane that 20 million people tuned in. That's a, that doesn't happen, you know? And, you know, then she did what she did, and, you know, that's crazy. But, uh, but you don't get, no, nothing gets ratings like that. I guarantee you, your favorite show, whatever it is, it, it doesn't, it, nothing gets big ratings anymore. No. And that's, I think, kind of a good thing. Um, well, it shows yeah. that you that we can choose what we watch. You know, it makes it so that there's a, a shitload of content, and you can pick your show. But enough yeah. people have to pick your show for it to come back, because lots of sure. shows yes. just get one one run or one year. Yeah, I was very, very, very happy that um, I, like I didn't get corporate canceled. I I you know was brought into that because um, Jake Pat and Matt, who created the show, they had never. Um, uh, run a television show before uh, not quite frankly neither had I but I'd worked on a bunch of them but they they needed somebody to um, to just guide them through the process the first season and then hand it off so you know to, you know because there's three of them uh, Pat uh, luckily brilliantly directs every episode and um, uh, J- uh, Jake and uh, Matt are right the show and they star in it so so so, um, so they uh, it was a great situation where I was able to uh, help them really make the show that they wanted to make, and uh, I, and I and that I didn't get it canceled. Oh, that's great news! That was great. So that's still going. I, yeah, they 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 have shot a second season of of corporate. Uh, I believe they're editing. Yeah, they're editing now, and um, I uh, I didn't work on it. I went to work on the secret thing that I can't talk about, uh, but. Um, 
but I'm very ha- I'm very excited to to see what they do with the uh, second season. That's sort of like, and it's 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 hard for me to think of like. I don't think I ever want to make like a hundred episodes of anything. Uh, I, 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 my brain doesn't think that way. I, I get I get restless. I want to make new things. Right. I'm a big fan of the anthology series, uh, like uh, Model. I like that. What do you uh, mean, like which anthology series? Like I like American Horror Story, where maybe it's like a different. You got some similar cast members or whatever, but it's a different kind of show. Right. Right. Or a thing that has like a finite like ending. To it. Like, well, we're going to do this for three seasons. And right. Limited like, runs. Limited like runs that. to preserve quality. You know, that. I like that. I don't. They do it in England, and I think we're, we're starting to do it over here in America, and, it, and I think uh, work is going to be better for it. Right. Uh, but it's have like. Have an ending. Have I, an ending in mind. Right. <laughs> no, that's smart, but a show like. I mean, I could have watched The Sopranos forever. Like, I, I just well, could have. Yeah. That you're, that you're talking about literally the show that. Uh, changed uh and in some ways ruined uh television made it made television a lot harder the sopranos was game-changing and brilliant and yes i could have watched it forever um but think about how uh, much harder it is to write television now because of the sopranos before the sopranos and that uh, uh bar was set like you could literally it'd be like um uh, uh, three's company. It was like, oh, there's a misunderstanding right. because uh, right. Jack overheard something, and an audience would accept that. Right. It was so easy to write right. those shows. Right. Now we have to try hard because of the fucking Sopranos, right. um, which right. is the pr- most brilliant thing ever. And um, it, I would like to rewatch it. Actually, no, yeah, you have your, your, you know, your shows that you know, but you know, the Sopranos, you're Breaking Bad, The Wire, but those, you know, Mad Men, they come to an end, you know, and then. And then you, you hopefully see what they create next, you know? Totally. I mean, I can't wait. I mean, I, I'm excited. I, I just don't think, like, a show like Ozark is as good as a show like Breaking Bad or Mad Men. And I think it's, like, it's a lesser show. Do you know what I'm saying? I have seen it. I, you know what I mean? It's okay. I'll tell you the, one, the one thing that um, kind of stinks about doing this job of, of, of writing and, and making TV is you really you really don't get uh, the opportunity to watch as much of it right um, or you want to you you don't want to watch it because you've been thinking about it and thinking about story all day that like you actually like I like to watch a documentary now or listen to some old music like that right. I, I, so there's like you need a break from what you're working in because you get yeah. too mired down it's tough it's now t- it's a tough one let me ask you this um, you've been clean and sober 13 years? I guess uh, we're in the 13th year. Okay. It's 2000 so and, yeah. You just completed 12 years. Yeah. Clean and sober. And and how, like, what, what's your, do you still work a program, though? I do. I um, could always work a better program. I'll tell you what's been really interesting in, in, in the last year is uh, looking at how uh, character defects and it's not about drinking or drugs anymore. Like I'm pretty, pretty feeling pretty good. Like if you were to ask me, Hey, you think you're going to drink tomorrow? I could probably say, nah, I'm probably not going to drink tomorrow, you know, or, 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 but um, can my uh, character defects and alcoholism show up in all kinds of other ways? Hell yes. That has been humbling. Um, and uh, brought me uh, to, there have been times in my life where I have found myself going to meetings like I was in my first 90 days of recovery. And then there have been times where I find myself, you know, 
not going as much. Uh, it, it, this year, I found myself going to meetings more. And it was really interesting. I, I, you know, I just new stuff comes up. New stuff comes up all the time. And uh, you got to deal with it. You just got to deal with it. And, and recovery uh, comes first before everything else. I never get too far away from the program. Right. And, and, the, and you have friends in the program. Do you, do you enjoy, yeah. do you enjoy showing up? Is it still fun at all? Like, like, like what are the, what is it like? I mean, it depends on the meeting, right? You know what I mean? Like you have your good meetings, you have your bad meetings, you know, I, I know, I know there's, there's no such thing as a bad meeting as people say. Um, yeah, that's not true. Uh, no, exactly. <laughs> are most of the meetings, have a bad meeting. are most of the meetings you go to an hour or an hour and a half? Um, they're usually, I mean, it, it varies out here. Some are an hour and 15. Ah, um, I struggle with the hour and a half meeting. I really do. It's depends like, what kind of meeting it is. It depends on your speaker. It depends, you know, like, I don't know. Like I, I tell you, I do miss my New York meetings. I loved the meetings in New York. I, I, not that I don't like the meetings out here, but I don't know. It's just, that's, that's like, I, there's not much I miss about New York, but I do miss my meetings there. It might be just everybody likes a town that they got sober in or whatever, but I, I like New York recovery. How would you compare New York and Los Angeles recovery? Um, I mean, it's the same basic principles and stuff. I think that you just, you know, you sort of one industry town out here, you know, um, we're in New York, like, People come from all walks of life, but usually everyone is in entertainment. Like that, I've—I mean, no, that's not true. There are people who aren't in entertainment, but uh, in LA or in New York? Yeah, oh, in, in New LA. York, you're saying you have a more variety. In New York, yeah. you, in New York, it's just so many different types of people. Right. In New York, you know, a lot of you know, it, it's a lot of sensitive creatives which is great for, for, for meetings and stuff. But I will notice this. I think it is very funny. It's a thing I've noticed both in New York and, uh, and Los Angeles in meetings. Um, I never, when I'm talking in a meeting, feel the need to mention my occupation. Um, and, and I, but actors, uh, in New York and Los Angeles, they, they'll go, I'm an actor. They always, they always somehow manage to work it in. To the share. Well, maybe they'll get a job. Maybe they'll get a job from a really effective share. You know, maybe they'll really win a producer over, especially in LA. That is why you're in a meeting. You are in trouble. But uh, isn't that I, isn't that just some sort of like character defect coming out to play? Isn't being I an actor exactly what it is? But isn't exactly being an actor maybe a character defect coming so out is, to play? So is being a writer. You know what I mean? Like it is. You know, it's talking. You know about it the other day you know like it's that characters like somebody brought up the greatest great expression like what's your what's this character's wound you know and i was like oh yeah everybody's got a thing you right. know what i mean right everybody's got a thing um what is the what is the thing how does it show up you right. know do you use um, a lot of stuff you in the meetings in your work do you use a lot of recovery um, addiction stuff in the work or no I don't know. You know, it's so recovery's such a part of me that I I bet you some of it is in there. You know, um, yeah. Actually, you know, as dumb as it sounds, you know, when when working on like the royal wedding and stuff, like, and I was talking to Molly 
Shannon, we're talking about her character, Tish Cadigan, who's like sort of like, you know, like a Kathy Lee Gifford, you know, very into like, you know, self-care and all that stuff. And I was able to kind of write to that character and those kind of buzzwords that like right. um, that got because I actually do it and, you know, know it. And, you know, right. So, yeah, maybe it does. I hadn't really thought about it until you asked me, but maybe it does show up in the work. Right. Uh, and there's so many caricatures I, of self-care and all those stories in a meeting. You hear so much funny shit about that. You know what I mean? The stuff that I've people never, do. Yeah, I've never found myself like like in a meeting going, "Oh, that's good material." Like cuz I mean cuz usually if I'm I'm in a meeting, I'm there for my recovery. Uh, but um recovery is such a part of me that it's probably a part of my work and I I would have to go back and look at like I guess episodes or things that I've written and, and see where it's there. Um, I, it's, I, I think there's an emotionality to it, um, uh, that, you know, because I'm, because I do this stuff, it, it's probably shows up in my work. You should come out to Suffolk County Narcotics Anonymous to get some really good material. It's just, oh, really? it's just amazing. It's just like fitted baseball cap backward, tattoo on the forearm, Hayapawa. It's just fucking. You, you, it's like you could really. It's gold. It's a gold mine. Suffolk there. County. That's like that's like Long Island, right? That's where. Right. I, that's where I moved to. I live in Suffolk right. County, and once in a while I'll go to Narcotics Anonymous, and, and there's a bunch of beautiful stuff in there. But just the Hayapawa. It's just totally. like you can't totally. get enough of that stuff. It's just I amazing. Kinda like, I kind of like that. Like I, you know, I know a lot of people have like, especially with newcomers. I'm always like, don't worry about the God thing. Like I just said, let me, I'll make the God thing super easy for you. I'm going to make it super easy for you. Uh, all you have to believe is that you're not God. Right. Like that's it. Is there somebody on the planet? Is there something that is more powerful than you? Cause I can list a bunch of shit for you right now. That's all you have to worry about. It's just that, you know, there's a power greater than you out there. That don't worry about the God thing. But I kind of like the, I kind of like the, you know, uh, you know, my I know I know the kind of um, person you're talking about. It's a, it's an archetype of a person. I kind of like I kind of like have a love for that that sort of Long Island. It's a brute. Uh, it's a brute. It's a Long yeah. Island recovery brute. And those people like, save lives. Dumb as a, dumb as a rock yes. that will save your life. Yes. Like yes. dumb as a rock, but also the smartest person in the room. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Yes. So it's my yeah. I love. I live for that. Like like. Like probably would say some things that are totally problematic. Maybe don't. Maybe aren't so evolved with certain language. Maybe use some words that we don't use anymore. But like, um, we'll cut through the BS. Oh, they'll hit you with that spiritual fucking fire out of no place, and you don't expect it. I I love that. Yeah, I I I know what you're talking about, and I love it. I'm for it. And then I I love when you can kind of, and most people usually do. They do because they do have that spiritual connection. They do come around on the like, yeah, we don't say that word for, you know, uh, <laughs> about the gay people anymore. Right. They don't use that word. Right, right. They will stop, you know. It just takes them a second. You know, it's funny. It's funny. I haven't, uh, I never really spent much time in Long Island. Well, uh, if you're ever on the East Coast and you want to come out, you, you, I will bring you as my guest. And you're more than welcome. You can meet the family. I will go to a meeting with you anytime. I'm so happy for you. I uh, 
that you that you you found this. You know what I mean? And you yeah. got the foundation, and um, and and I know what it's like to go through that uh, uh, such a tragic loss in recovery. It's it's it is brutal, and um, you know uh, I I I just uh, you know we really have an epidemic. In, in this uh, country, and 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 it's it really anybody that's out there and that's talking about it as a disease, and like I said, I always I want to you know I'm happy sharing my story, but I always, I always want to make sure if I'm telling my story that it's coming from a place of recovery. That was like my one deal. It's like I well, I, just, I didn't put you in the spot, you know. I I, yeah, I stuck no, I, I stuck to your deal, you know. No, I, but I you you did exactly. It just just because I, I I'll say this. Like, you know, like, yeah, I got crazy stories, but they're all the same as everybody else's really at the end of the day. Like, and there's probably, you know, you know, I hope this wasn't boring to your, you know, regular listeners. I hope I don't want to alienate anybody. It's just for me, I got bored of the, of the, uh, uh, it's not good for my recovery to wallow in the, um, in the uh, you know like the dopey so to speak yeah yes it's not good it's not good for my personal recovery because that was such a part of my identity um and so you 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 could you could relate to that you did have a time where that those stories were incredibly appealing to you or or like you know the 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 rock and roll junkie the comedy junkie i've read every single book backwards and forwards about the history of it. You know, I've hung out with some of these, some of those people, some that are uh, clean, some that are still messed up. I, I, uh, I'm close in that world. And, and it's, and it's my, I'll tell you whose book I love. And it's a great, it's a great punk rock book, but it's also a great book about recovery is Steve Jones's book, the guitar player for the sex. Yeah. You mentioned that. It's a great, What's it called? About punk. It's called Lonely Boy. Lonely Boy. I, I, you know, uh, I, I love that because you get the stories, but you also he's got the recovery, man. Right. Like, uh, right. I saw him recently, and I and I, and I said, I, it's weird for I said to him, I said, first of all, it's weird for me. I'm sorry. It's always going to be weird for me to just have any sort of like that. You know me, and and I like you're you're you know you're Steve you, Jones. You're Steve Jones. Like, I'm, it's just always going to be that way. I'm gonna maybe I'll get used to it at some point, but I'm not yet. Uh, but you're very cool. But I, I said to I said Steve, I said I read your book. He's like, I'm glad you somebody wrote it. And I'm like, no, I read it and I loved it because I loved it because because the, the way you talked about recovery, I got to tell him, um, and uh, it was nice giving you a hug and everything. And it's just like it's wild, man. Like, so, but no, like, do I get it? Yeah, I've read. You know, I've read. Every single book uh, uh, on the Ramones and will. And, you know, uh, I love Seymour. Seymour Stein's got a great book out right now called Siren Song. That's more about the, just the record industry. I live for that stuff. I will always, you know. What about, my stories are boring. I, I, always <laughs> thought, I always thought that a great thing would be like my favorite stories in those rock and roll memoirs are when like nowhere – like like where like Keith Moon is touring in New York and, and he runs into John Lennon and Jerry Garcia and they get coke and acid in the hotel and like I love those weird mashup drug stories in the memoirs <laughs> like I, and I feel like if you could write a book just about the drug mashups it would just be such I, a fun book 
look, I'm not going to tell you that I don't have a great appreciation for the Hollywood vampires. You know, I do. Uh, you know, the, you know, Alice Cooper and Nilsson and uh, sure. Lennon running around. Keith Moon and that whole story, yeah. yeah. Of course, I love it. You know, like how how screwed up do you have to be to get kicked out of a Smothers Brothers show at the Troubadour? That stuff's great. Like, I love it. I love reading about it and stuff. Um, my own stories are, they don't, I'm sorry, they're just never going to match that, um, those. So I, I think that it's like, where can I be of service talking about recovery? You right. know, you want those, you want the, you know, it's like, I'm never going to compete with Alice Cooper's story. And that guy's sober now too, you know? A long time, <laughs> long time sober. Long time. He's cool, man. Like, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big Alice Cooper fan. Well, I just I want to thank you for coming on and and sharing a bit of your recovery and a bit of your career with us, and uh, it's awesome. I'm just I'm happy to have connected with you at all, and uh, I'm, I'm happy, happy to- for you. I did. I truly did. I didn't know how much like you know. I, I remember running into you and stuff, and I remember when you were at uh, you know at, at that at that network, and and um, you know, but I didn't realize that just the personal. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I truly didn't, and 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 I'm kind of sorry that I didn't. I, maybe I could have been more of service in a time when you needed it. I was uh, an asshole. But I, I was an yeah. Jake. I wasn't when we met. I was an asshole. I was an asshole junkie. Were, you were who, sick, and I was sure you wanted to take what I had, and I had nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? I was totally Jake deluded. Was, yeah, yeah, I was deluded. Oh, wow, yeah. That does ring a bell. Like you were, you were. You I was were protective very, of my little music show. I had a little right. music show that I really Which, loved. Like I got I to interview the Flaming Lips and KRS One and all that shit. I loved it, and I was like, and I felt like I was somebody, and I thought that you were coming in to steal my golden goose, my prize, my. I was crazy. I wasn't, I wasn't hired even to do that. Like that wasn't even my job. Dude, like, I was deranged. It doesn't even yeah, matter. I was, so I was totally, I was totally yeah, deranged. The way you t- just it twisted in your yeah, in my junky head. Yes, yes. Yeah, you drug out of mine. Like I was like, no, I was there to like work on like other comedy stuff. That it, like your music show was. You were ruining your music. Yeah, show. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for reminding <laughs> me. No, and of I, course, no, look, of course. Wait, I fucking. Blew mind. I blew up my MTV show too. Like I get it. I know what it's like to lose a thing. You know, it's uh, what I can say is it was certainly not the end of my career, and it, it it's it's laughable now how much it wasn't. It doesn't have to define you. Well, the other and thing, the other thing is not only that you can still have a life. You know what I mean? Like I, my life is so much better than it ever was at any yeah. point because Not of this thing, dreams. because yeah. of this thing, you know, like, and I can do anything because I can live, you know, like the sky is the limit exactly. because, because exactly. I'm on the ground, you know, and it's beautiful, you know, that is, is true. And I can tell you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I do a lot of interviews. I, I don't do a lot of interviews. I've been on, a, you know, done my fair share of podcasts. I've sat down and talked with Mark Maron and stuff, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you, you, you do, you're good at what you do. You, you, you know, you, you've kept me engaged. I think this is a, a, a good conversation. So like, I, I, I think you've got to keep doing this and you got to see where it, it goes to. And, it, you know, I, I know it's probably got to feel different now, but 
you, you, you know, you got to keep doing it. Well, I appreciate it, man. It. I appreciate it, and I, I'm going to. I'm going to keep doing it until it's not fun or it totally sucks. But Well, that's my rule of things. I do things until they're not fun or it starts to suck. Yeah. And and then I stop doing them. Yeah, that's, um, that's my rule, too. And sometimes that decision is made for me. <laughs> yeah. With this one, it can't be because, like, I'm I'm yeah, paying I to know, put this thing out. You know what I mean? I did. Well, I did my podcast until I. It was like I this I this has served its purpose. I it's you know right you don't need you know. to do it, but maybe one day you'll want to again. You well, know? that's the thing. I know I have that uh, desire. I do. Like I think. Like oh, I'd love to do like six of them. You know, like right now. You know, and maybe I, I I could they could figure that out. I'm trying to figure that out. I I, I I certainly it's certainly not the last time I will like be behind a microphone doing something. I do enjoy that uh, broadcasting. Um, I I just am not sure what the next thing is. Well, you um, you keep me posted. You keep us posted. It's wonderful to have you on the show, and I really thank appreciate you, man. It. Thank you for having me, and and uh, it was a good talk. Totally, man. And uh, and be in touch, okay? Yeah. You reach out. Oh, and I need to send you my fucking pilot. You need to read the pilot. I think you'll like I'm, it. I'm happy to, man. All, All right, right, Jake. Take a look at it. All Thanks, right. man. Have a great night, and thank you. No problem. Okay, later. Bye. Well, there he was, Jake Fogelnest. For all of you uh, Dopey fans who said you liked the long episode, there's the long interview with uh, longtime friend slash rival Jake Fogelnest. Um, hope you guys liked it. Uh, let me know, leave a review, fucking follow us on Twitter. Somebody was just making fun of me that we don't have enough Twitter followers. So follow on Twitter, follow on Instagram, write a review if it's positive. Don't give me any more negative reviews. It hurts my feelings. Um, and stay strong, Dopey Nation. Take care of yourselves. And you know, I fucking hate to say toodles. It makes me, it disgusts me to say toodles, to hear the word toodles is gross. And yet I am totally compelled to say toodles because that is the legacy that our dear, dear, dear departed friend Chris has left us with. So, toodles. And what the fuck? If it's this long, I'm going to play a fucking uh, a song of mine at the end. This is a song I wrote when I just came back from uh, Los Angeles. It's called People Watching. I wrote it just when I started dating Linda, and um, I always wanted to play it on Dopey, and I figure only the truest of the true devoted fans are still listening at a minute and, or an hour and 56 minutes, so here's people watching.
want anyone else. Suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had. 